What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, Omicron getting closer to home. Cases identified in New York, Minnesota, and Colorado. But how prepared are we? Is there a way to cover for all the variants in it? I mean, like in the flu shot, I, I get the quad flu shot every year that deals with at least four variants. And the statement heard round the world. Who else is standing up for tennis Olympian Peng Shui and what impact they'll have with leadership expert Jeff Sonnenfeld. Tennis has been very bold. We're wondering where's the stampede of others to follow, but diplomatic boycott makes a lot of sense. Those stories plus the treasury is running out of cash again, but a couple lawmakers have a complicated plan. CNBC's Alon Moy. Sometimes the simplest policy answer is the hardest political answer. So you end up with these sort of complicated policy solutions to get around the fact that no one wants to make the obvious choice. It's Friday. Welcome to Friday. Yes. It's December 3rd, 2021, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box. This is CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And yeah, it's Friday. Yesterday was a Did big day for that? the markets. Once or twice, maybe. It's a 6.00.42 seconds. We've said it three times. The big developing story uh, this morning on the Omicron uh, COVID variant. New York State now confirming at least five cases of the new variant hours after cases were detected in Minnesota and Colorado. The majority of those cases were detected inside New York City itself and surrounding boroughs. This according to the governor. We're not having shutdowns. We're not changing our protocols. We are continuing where we are, but making sure that we work in concert together and encourage people to get tested, get tested often, get the vaccination. Minnesota's confirmed cases uh, were found in a confirmed case, I should say, was found in a resident who recently returned from New York City. Becky. There's news is just out at the top of the hour. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that the FDA is preparing guidelines for a quick review of Omicron-targeted vaccines and drugs. That would, in fact, really expedite the response to the variant. For vaccines, companies would not have to conduct large, lengthy trials that enroll thousands of subjects and take months and months to do, but they could just study the immune response in a few hundred subjects. Drug makers would need about three months to develop and test these new vaccines, and it's expected that it would take the FDA just one to two weeks to to make a decision about emergency use. And guys, this is what we talked about at the beginning of the week uh, when you had Pfizer and uh, Moderna both say that they could cook these things up. They were working on it already and that they could have something ready by early next year. If, if they had to be tested like it was the first time around with the mRNA vaccines, you would be talking about probably at least uh, three to six months at least before you would have something that was approved and, and taken on by the FDA. But Becky, are they talking in this instance, are they're talking about three months as a minimum, no matter what. And well, then the question is, do they start manufacturing ahead of that? I, I, that would be my guess. That's what right. they've done in the past. And because these are not new vaccines, we talked about it for the flu vaccine. You don't have to go through the trials every year. They just uh, kind of look at the new that they think are going to be the most likely variants that are out there. And they prepare for it using that. And maybe we've reached that point, it sounds like. And, and the FDA is acknowledging 
pillaging because this is a desperate time and, and they need to move more quickly on these things, they're going to do it. Well, we said that if, if the proof of concept of this new technology, messenger RNA technology, which we said is so attractive and so exciting because it can be adapted so quickly, if the proof of concept that it works once, if you just change a few of the base pairs, you need to go back to, to uh, you know, to the very beginning, and it doesn't look like you have to. And I wouldn't think so with monoclonals either, like we were talking with, with Len Schleifer. Make a new monoclonal that, that is more uh, targeted to this antigen, to this uh, to, to Omicron, and, and get that out on the market, too. That shouldn't be that hard either. It's hard to make it, though. That's the only not hard, but, but the question is when do you manufacture it and distribute it? When, yeah, large when do you shift? But when do you shift? When do you shift from Delta to Omicron, right? This is this is the big question that or they're you all get facing. The question I would say, you can you kind of mix it up where it kind of Omicron deals with all booster. of those? You get an Omicron booster. Yeah. Like a flu shot. Right. No, no. But from a manufacturing perspective, they need yeah. to, they, at some point to, to, to get enough of it, they have to effectively say, we're no longer right. doing Delta. Delta. We're doing this. And that making is, that decision. I, I don't know the answer. Right. Is there a way to to cover for all the variants in it? I mean, like in the flu shot, I, I get the quad flu shot every year that deals with at least four variants. Oh, they are working on that, but that's not, I mean, they're working on a, a broad spectrum kind of thing that they could do in the future. But I, my understanding is that at least this round, they have to actually make the call. We've seen these shades of of, of different COVID variants before. Yeah. We think we're better prepared this time around. We think we have more tools. We hope that we can react better. And, and we also hope that it, it, it's no more deadly than what we've dealt with to this point and that these tools that we have will work. I do think that over the next month, six weeks, we will know one way or the other, both, both what this new variant means, but also how or if it's going to change people's behavior. Maybe it changes that's, people's that's behavior, and, and it maybe it doesn't. If it does change people's extent. behavior, it's going to make a huge yeah. difference. And yeah. I, I'm, I wonder, I think at some level it may, especially because so many people have been vaccinated, and even though they've been vaccinated, if everybody thinks that they can still get it, now even if it's a, a mild case, I don't know if everybody just jumps in the pool. Maybe the, some people will, some people won't. And how I, that I don't changes know. I think travel the and everything else. The fatigue of dealing with this stuff has affected so many people. I, I mean, we're, we're doing a homecoming in this building next week to welcome people back to get ready but for our big I haven't reopening. I have jumped too. out of the pool, and I have. I've been in the pool. I don't need to jump back in. I. I have. Uh, I will admit, no, I mean, at, my, at my health club, a couple of times I've looked around recently when I've got. It, it, the day after Thanksgiving, shocker, people go to the gym. Uh, but there were so many, I, I was I got a little, I, I haven't been uncomfortable, but and I, I wasn't wearing a mask and nobody else is, a couple people. But uh, there were a lot of people in that gym. And I finally said, you know, let's go over uh, to, to, you know, Eddie. I have Ed Dreddy, the guy that I hate that trains me. But um, yeah, it, it got, I, I actually, that's the first time I've felt a little bit uncomfortable. Here's a couple of things I was thinking. LA Times just had a piece that maybe the South Africa thing happened because of the huge immunosuppressed population there. And it right. might have been in one person that, that had COVID for 160 days and it was unable to, to deal with the infection and the, the infection just right. just Well, that's what Len told us the other day, right? That's the CEO what, of Regeneron. That's what Len told right. us. I saw that piece. We're all sort of one organism. And if we have a weak link in the chain because some people unfortunately are having chemotherapy or, or you know that in the Gauteng province in South Africa, the instance of HIV infection is about 20%. So it's not a surprise 
that in that immunocompromised population, that variants are emerging and they're emerging by leapfrog kind of a mutation, not slow evolution. And this is gonna keep going uh, until we deal with um, treating everybody, including the immunocompromised. So another, we heard Dr. Gottlieb say it, it, that it was identified a year and a half ago. Where did it go? I don't understand that. Well, and then that's I saw one more thing. You, one more thing. There's that area that that the people that think it was a lab-based uh, accident. Mm -hmm. There's that one area of the genome that that doesn't usually mutate, and this one supposedly has a lot of things happening right in that area too. So we're back to asking. We need to know the genesis originally to be able right. to deal with this. And we still don't. And we probably never will. And it's not fair. That's another reason to get mad at China. For not allowing things to be actually investigated properly. Exactly. Here's and one question I have. Yeah. It, well, okay, if, if you are convinced it came from the Wuhan lab, and I'm not discounting that, could actually be what happened. If you think that this was something that was being potentially weaponized by the Chinese as a potential oh military weapon down the road, if that's the case, why wouldn't you take the vaccine that America and its allies have put forth to kind of battle that. Oh, I don't. That that's that's another uh, that's another couple of bridges about whether it was weaponized. They, at this point, but, people are still whatever. thinking. If it you just think may that this escaped. is something that was cooked up in a lab in, may have, in China, but it may have escaped. It, it, it and, may and just, escaped. Maybe they didn't send it out and weaponize it and put it out on purpose. But if you think right. that this was something that they were playing around with as a potential weapon and it accidentally escaped, okay. Take the vaccine. You're you're more comfortable with what right. you think was cooked up in a Chinese lab coming to get you than the vaccine to fight that. I, right. The logic doesn't doesn't follow it. I don't think they're necessarily looking for a weapon either. I think that, that looking at gain of function research is just trying to figure out to prevent a future pandemic by knowing as much as you can about the mechanism of, of these coronaviruses. So I'm not even. Uh, you know, ascribing ill intent to, to the research that was done. But then again, Any, it I, I'm just saying the, the things I've heard from people who say, I don't want to get the vaccine. I'll take my chances with this virus. But a lot of them also think that virus was cooked up in a lab. Right. It's like, right. OK. And they're very happy to take their chances with all the medicines they're going to have to take when they get COVID. So the whole thing is, is crazy. Yeah. Just as a, as a side note. Reaction. I, I haven't found somebody who hasn't taken the vaccine and then has, has, has said, no, no, please don't give me remdesivir either. I mean, it just makes no sense. Well, even the worries about uh, my, you know, whether there's heart, all that stuff. They, I can guarantee yeah. if you want to hurt your heart, get COVID. It's like <laughs> 10 times as likely to have some type of inflammation. Coming up on Squawk Pod, we're on the ground in Beijing. How groups around the world are standing up to China with leadership expert Jeff Sonnenfeld. It's disappointing that we don't see Peng Shui's transcript. We don't see a video of all this. And, and for Thomas Bach of the IOC to say somehow, oh, well, we'll see her in January or later into next year. That's crazy. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. Time now for an update on the controversy over a Chinese tennis player who accused a top Communist Party official of sexual assault. The Women's Tennis Association has suspended all tournaments in China over the handling of her accusation and concerns for her safety. Eunice Yoon joins us right now. She's got more on that front. Eunice, good morning or good evening there. Good evening, Becky, or good morning, actually. Um, the uh, Chinese government, as well as uh, the women's, the world of women's tennis, are really at a standstill over the Chinese tennis player Peng Shuai. Uh, the WTA said that it's suspending all the tournaments in China, potentially uh, losing millions of dollars in a 10-year deal. Uh, meanwhile, Peng has had limited interaction with the outside world, um, apparently, or at least seemingly, under uh, Beijing's instruction. Uh, she was last seen in videos and photos on Twitter in the accounts of state media, um, of Chinese state media. But otherwise, the WTO, the WTA has said that she is not reachable. Now, the WTA's tough stance is being closely watched by uh, the international business community as a potential inflection point in their relationship and how to engage with Beijing, including on the uh, Beijing Olympics. Uh, the tactic of the Chinese right now appears to be to drop support for Beijing's position by arguing a popular international view that politics shouldn't mix with sport and that athletes are the only ones who go punished. Uh, they're also pressuring the U.S. business community to push back, including AmCham, as well as the U.S.-China Business Council. And this would include against um, a boycott of the Olympics. And then finally, they've been enlisting the help of the IOC to reassure the tennis world, as well as others, that Peng Shuai is fine. Uh, the IOC, uh, again, uh, doubled down um, to align itself with Beijing, uh, saying that uh, they have spoken to her for a second time over a video call and that uh, they have agreed that the two would be meeting in person in January. Joining us right now for more on all of this is Jeff Sonnenfeld. He's Yale School of Management Senior Associate Dean for Leadership Studies. He's also a CNBC contributor. And um, Jeff, I know you have some pretty strong feelings about this. What, what do you think of the move of the Women's Tennis Association? And, and what do you think of the Olympics in contrast? Uh, yes, Becky, thanks. Ni hao. Uh, I, there really uh, is some precedent here. Uh, I, I think that the uh, the IOC has a, a long tainted history. This is Thomas Bach is just the, the latest in a stream of, of uh, just between us, quizzling weak leaders that have kowtowed and are appeasers uh, to, I think, abusive governments. And we go on at length about the IOC in concessions being made on, on Russian uh, doping uh, for, for the entirety of Thomas Bach's reign. He's been there about eight years. Uh, and despite even internal findings of, of of manipulation of testing by the IOC themselves, Bach has uh, continually sort of fought uh, doing the right thing. His predecessor, uh, Juan Samaranch, was, uh, it's not uh, inflammatory name calling uh, to identify him as a fascist. He was much of his uh, career, and that it was uh, 
in Franco's government and the concessions and the scandals on bid ringing of contracts, the IOC, uh, for them to come out and make a statement is hardly cleansing. And uh, it's disappointing that we don't see uh, the Peng Shui's uh, uh, a transcript. We don't see a video of all this. And, and for Thomas Bach of the IOC to say somehow, oh, well, we'll see her in January or later in the next year, uh, that's that's crazy. I think uh, tennis has been very bold. They're taking a lonely stand, kind of like uh, you know Ken Frazier, uh, post-Charlottesville, CEO of Merck, remember, and we're wondering where's the stampede of others to follow? I- I'm not saying there needs to be a, a mass boycott, uh, either of athletes or of um, of, uh, of even advertisers, although some advertisers might consider. I, I think it's very important that NBC continue their coverage for a lot of reasons. But diplomatic boycott makes a lot of sense. Uh, Jeff, what you're talking about is something that I think people are clamoring for in some arenas. Um, but it does get back to the point of if if you push the Olympics to pull out or to say forget it or to boycott a diplomatic boycott, it, it gets you to the point where you don't know how that escalates and, and where things go. And, you know, China is now in a position where, you know, they have been testing hypersonic missile tests. Um, they're in a position where they have nuclear warheads, the potential for all of these things. And the question becomes, if you can't even meet on something like an Olympic grounds, um, what, what do, where does that leave you in, in, in terms of any diplomacy? And I guess the return answer is, our efforts at this have not worked to this point. Um, but you are talking about some pretty big issues with some pretty important heft. It's the most important relationship in the world. How do we proceed? Well, I'm really glad you 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 went to the third rail about talking about uh, global uh, peace and national security uh, issues, uh, because a lot of uh, CEOs wisely don't want to talk about that. And I just I, I don't encourage them. I mean, good for you to raise it. But just so that we have it in the background of the context of where CEOs, if they can avoid it, shouldn't go. We shouldn't be talking about any of the saber rattling in in Taiwan, the South China Sea, looking at those nuclear uh, warheads, uh, uh, the various, uh, uh, you know, the control of the Congo rare rare minerals or things like that that China has is uh, that Xi Jinping, uh, when he took control, many in the U.S. government of both parties were initially happy because Hu Jintao, his predecessor, didn't have such full authority over the disparate parts of the Chinese government. They thought, well, now we have a unified person to deal with that has, well, they realize that we have an emperor now. But the the risk of these emperor for life models is they always feel threatened. Uh, And it doesn't take much to to trigger a sense of, of recklessness, carelessness. Now, he happens to be, I don't think, a reckless person, even though he's concentrating power in, in his to historic proportions. But we shouldn't, if this were Russia, we'd say, don't poke the bear. In this case, they'd say, don't push the panda. I think we should stay away from the global diplomacy issues that are that are volatile and, and kind of on the edge. But looking at what advertisers can do together, there are companies, I don't know, Nike, Gap, uh, Adidas, uh, H&M, L.L. Bean, Patagonia. These folks meritoriously this year, this spring, this summer, uh, banded together and, and refused to take... Uh, uh, from Xinjiang province, uh, uh, any of the cotton, and it's very high quality cotton that's coming from the oppressed Uyghurs uh, that, that are people being uh, forced uh, forced to produce this, forced to work. Now, some companies have reneged or, or not even signed up. I, you know, if people care about boycotting, they might reconsider racing off Jeff, to buy. But if, they were, if they were able to do that, then I would ask you, why are so many business executives who do business in China 
so unwilling to speak out. We've we've seen, you know, look, this week, Ray Dalio made those comments on our program. Mitt Romney went after him for those comments. Jamie Dimon retracted his comments about China just a week ago. Uh, Larry Finka said relatively positive things about China. There are, there are lots of people who seem to be unwilling to, to, to make the, the, the sort of outspoken case that you're making. And yet you're also saying there are other CEOs that are somehow doing, the, doing it behind the scenes. What's going on here? Well, you know, Andrew, we closed off last week on, on this topic by you saying we wish we had more time. And you probably just meant it politely. But look what the producers have done to you. They tortured you with us getting right back into it now with the more time. And I'm glad we do, because uh, I do think Adam, Adam Silver of the NBA has very, very cleverly threaded the needle here where the fortification of American values is part of the American brand. And, and we should never surrender American uh, character uh, in the interest of commerce. And it doesn't need to be done. We had 180 com uh, companies pull out of South Africa. And you might say, wow, South Africa, it's, uh, it, it was probably a population of, of, of uh, not even 30 million people at that time. Look at this, uh, you know, the 2.6 billion in the market. It isn't the size of the market. South Africa, then and now, it, is, it really has a tremendous uh, uh, control over uh, rare minerals. Of course, it, then it was 75% of the diamond and gold production. And we still had U.S. companies, IBM, uh, especially General Motors, came out with the Sullivan principles. You may remember it was the guideline on how to operate uh, in China, in, sorry, in South Africa. And, and uh, when when the South African government wouldn't let companies comply, 180 companies pulled out. In part, there also was a uh, there were sanctions from the United States government, which, in fact, uh, came through with uh, Ronald Reagan was president. Then he refused to sign them. He didn't believe in economic boycotts. But Mitch McConnell uh, did. And, and Bob Dole, who led the Republican Senate, said we need to stand for American values. Republicans, Democrats joined together. Seventy eight senators uh, in, in, in this uh, overrode Reagan's uh, veto on this. Uh, to, to enact those kind of sanctions. And advertisers can do that kind of thing here. In terms of Jamie's comment, I don't want to sidestep it. It was, uh, you don't need, if you don't need to get into a, a, a fight, don't step into it. He, he stepped into it unwisely. They're playing us out. And I, I apologize. It never seems like we have enough time. We will have you back very soon to continue this conversation. Great to see you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, debt limit drama. When the Treasury will run out of money, hint, it's soon, and a new plan to avert disaster from lawmakers. The idea of being able to bring down the debt to GDP by 5% over a decade, I mean, that would be a pretty complicated, complex structure to try and work out. Wouldn't you think it'd be easier to just negotiate the debt ceiling? This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. 
And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Stand by, Joe. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Good morning, and uh, welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. On Wednesday, I said we've reached the halfway point. We are rounding third now. We're probably halfway, uh, we're probably halfway like down the line uh, almost. And we're going to be safe, I think, at home. Don't you love Fridays? Uh, Too close to Mondays, though, as we always point out. In the meantime, we also have some breaking news on the debt ceiling. Elon Moy joins us with more on that front. Elon. Becky, the Bipartisan Policy Center just released its latest forecast for when Treasury will actually run out of money, and it puts the date between December 21st and January 28th. Now, Treasury has set the deadline even earlier at December 15th. Secretary Yellen has said that she cannot guarantee the nation's bills will get paid after that. There's a big transfer due to the Highway Trust Fund on that day, and a lot depends on how much revenue will come in from corporate tax payments. Our debt limit tracker shows that Treasury is moving deeper into the yellow zone with only $247 billion left in cash and extraordinary measures unless Congress intervenes. Now, we are seeing that there is a bipartisan push to end all of this debt limit drama. It comes from Representatives Scott Peters and Jody Arrington. Their bill would automatically suspend the debt ceiling for one year if Congress passes a budget that reduces the debt-to-GDP ratio by 5% over the next decade. Now, if Congress doesn't act, the president would be able to raise the debt limit, but would still have to come up with a long-term plan to deal with the nation's debt. So, Becky, this is unlikely to be the solution this time around, but there is hope that it can help break the vicious cycle of debt limit drama. Back the over to the you. idea of being able to bring down the debt to GDP by 5% over a decade, I mean, that would be a pretty complicated, complex structure to try and work out. Wouldn't You'd think it'd be easier to just negotiate the debt ceiling. Yeah, and that would certainly still be a path for Congress to take. Lawmakers, Republicans and Democrats could come together to simply raise or suspend the debt ceiling. Uh, But if Congress sort of got its fiscal house in order and was able to uh, sort of make those long term plans, that would automatically spin off the debt ceiling increase. And so they're trying to create basically off ramps so that there's not this level of brinksmanship each time and that the president can sort of step in and intervene if Congress, as we've seen over and over again, sort of dithers around to the last minute. But I mean, just the idea of coming up with that as a last-minute off-ramp seems kind of crazy. You'd have to come up with a Simpson-Bowles-type agreement that takes a lot of planning and committee hearings and agreement on both sides to get to a plan where you could actually see that happening, unless you just made up a bunch of numbers. Yeah, so what we're told is that this bill does have um, has been discussed among key leadership on both sides of the aisle. It's also been discussed with the administration as well. So there is some momentum around it. It's going to take time for folks to work through the details. It's complicated. I'm sure it is also right for gaming as well. We see a lot of fuzzy math when it comes to the budget. Um, but at least the conversation is beginning and there are multiple sort of avenues for raising the debt limit rather than just having this be, you know, what do Republicans want to do? What do Democrats want to do? There has to be sort of a third way 
away in order for uh, some of this heated rhetoric to die down. I mean, it seems like a great idea. I would love to see both sides come together and agree that they would each agree to cut back on some of their expectations and desires in order to lower the debt limit. But again, that, that seems like a more complicated thing to kind of work out. Great that if people are on board for this. But um, let me just say I'm skeptical of using that as a quick fix. Unfortunately, Becky, sometimes the simplest policy answer is the hardest political answer. So you end up with these sort of complicated <laughs> policy solutions to get around the fact that no one wants to make the obvious choice. It's a great idea. Just uh, get to it. Let's see some work done. Elon, thank you. Good to see you. Have a great weekend. It's that time. It's the most marvelous time of the week. That is the show for today and for the week. Thank you for listening, as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.